What a powerful name it is. Well, that's a beautiful song. I love that. Addie, thank you so much. And Addie's joined our ministry team here at the church. I'm so glad to have her here and to get better acquainted with her. Well, it's great, great to be here this morning with you all. Last time we were here on Sunday morning uh, when I was preaching was uh, May 21st. So it's been a, been a long time, and we missed you all very much. And I know that many of you were praying for us. And when you hear about all the beautiful places I visited, you may uh, not feel sorry for us, but we do appreciate your, your prayers for our protection. And uh, we were praying for you all. I was keeping up on the prayer requests um, all summer as we were gone, and uh, just a, a privilege to pray, pray for so many of you. Uh, we missed you all very much, and we're so glad to be back. Uh, being back here this morning reminds me of the story of a woman who uh, went to the mall with her husband and her best friend. And um, after some period of time, the husband got lost, and the wife hadn't found him for a really long period of time, was wondering where he was. So she went and got a security guard, and the security guard said, well, describe him to me, and maybe I can go find him. And she said, well, he's, he, he's very tall, extremely handsome. He's got blonde hair. I mean, he's got a physique like a Greek god. I mean, you'll, you'll notice who he is right away. And so the security guard leaves, and the uh, best friend who's with her says, well, that doesn't describe your husband at all. She says, your husband's kind of short. He's really not very handsome. He's balding. He's got a big belly. She says, yeah, I know. Who wants him back? <laughs> well, I'm back, so we're back. Here we are. So it's glad to, glad to be back with our church family. And uh, Cheryl and I had a fantastic time. I mean, it really was the trip of a lifetime. That's not an exaggeration for us to say that. Uh, we want to thank the elders for blessing us with the, their, our time away this summer. Uh, we, for those of you maybe that are visiting or, or not, don't uh, know about the situation, we've been here 25 years, and the church gave us a sabbatical for 11 weeks this summer. And it was a, a great time of rest and refreshment, and uh, we're ready for another 25 years, Lord willing, if God gives us the strength for that. We, we hope that will be true. But I want to thank Jay Reisner for his leadership and teaching while we were away. Um, his summer series on the book of Titus was called uh, R&R, Rooted and Ready, but we were having R&R while he was back here working, so I appreciate him doing that. And just thank our wonderful staff for all they did while we were away. Um, any of you here have a, you know, a business or, or whatever, if you're away and you're constantly worrying about what's going on back in the place you've left, you know you can't really rest, Right. And uh, we were able to really get away and really rest because we had such confidence in the Lord and in the people uh, that He's placed there and, here. And so they really allowed us to do that, and we appreciate that very much. Uh, many people have asked me, probably the most common question, do you really feel relaxed and refreshed? And my response is, if I'm not relaxed and refreshed after the 11 weeks I just had, I never will be. So we really are, and, and we, we appreciate it, and deepest thanks to all of you. Um, if you're a visitor here this morning, I want to tell you this is a unique Sunday. This isn't normally what I do. Uh, next week, we're going to start in the book of Philippians. But I want to just give a little overview of our trip because some of you may not have any idea where we went. Some of you may not care that much, so I won't go into too much detail. I know some of you would like more, some would like less, but I'll try to hit it in the middle. Um, in, in a couple of months, I'm going to bring two sermons at the end of October on the Protestant Reformation, the, the importance of that for us, because that's our heritage as, as uh, Protestant believers. And uh, so during that time, I'm going to talk a lot about our trip, and we visited Prague, which was the, uh, the home of, of John Huss, uh, one of the precursors really to the Reformation. Um, we were in Germany, which of course where Martin Luther was. Uh, we spent time in Geneva, which is where John Calvin preached in the church there. So we'll, I'll talk a lot about those places in upcoming weeks. 
As I said, next Sunday, we're going to start a study in the book of Philippians. So I have a few pictures from Philippi next week and all of that. And uh, Paul wrote Philippians from Rome, so we'll talk about a little of that as well. So I'll be sprinkling some of these things in in the coming weeks. But I thought I'd just give you a quick summary of our odyssey. Uh, We had uh, six plane flights, uh, seven train rides, uh, numerous cars and cabs, 700 miles at sea on our journeys of Paul trip. Uh, we're in seven different countries, Germany, uh, Czech Republic, Austria, Switzerland, um, Italy, Turkey, and Greece, all in that period of time. And we started out our trip, I went over and spoke at a prophecy conference in Breckerfeld, Germany. And uh, we were there for a few days. I've, I've developed a relationship with a Bible school there and went over and spoke at what's called a propheticon, a prophetic conference there. And uh, the, the leader of that school, Johannes Vogel, and I have become really good friends. So we did that. And then when that was over with, we went to Prague. It was about eight hours that day on a train. Spent a few days in Prague. Came back to Munich uh, in Germany. We, we loved our time there. I went uh, on a day trip to Salzburg, Austria. Spent a little time down at Interlaken in, in Switzerland. Uh, then in Geneva, again, where John Calvin preached, one of the great cities of the Reformation. And then we went to Rome, which I, Rome is kind of the, the one place I've never been of all the biblical places. That's kind of the only place I'd never been that I really wanted to go to. Saw a lot of wonderful things there, but one of the highlights was the Mamertine dungeon or prison where Paul spent his last days before he was uh, beheaded there in Rome. And um, he wrote Second Timothy from there. Usually you're with a big group when you go in there, but Cheryl and I were by ourselves. There was just three young people probably in their 20s, a couple of brothers and their sister that were there. So we had a lot of time there just by ourselves and just to, to meditate and to think about that, about that place. It was very, very moving. Uh, we stayed in the oldest hotel in Rome. It was uh, started back in the 15th century. Thankfully, they've updated it since then, but, uh, but, it, but it, was very, it was beautiful. It was right by the Pantheon. If you've ever been to Rome, you walked out your door and saw the Pantheon, which is the best preserved ancient temple in the world. Um, it's just exactly like it was in 120 AD. It's an incredible, incredible sight. Uh, from Rome, we flew to Istanbul, uh, Turkey, Cheryl and I did, to join up with our tour group. We had about 40 people from our church. It was our church, Dallas Seminary, and Denton Bible Church. We all uh, we, we chartered this clipper ship, uh, sailing ship. It was a, you know, some of you were on the trip. I'll look out and see a few of you, and it was, it was fantastic. If we hadn't even stopped at the places we stopped, it would have been worth it just being on the ship. It was a tremendous uh, time on that ship. But we went to, to Philippi. Uh, to the island of Patmos, where um, John received the revelation. Uh, We went to Mykonos and Santorini, which have no biblical significance, but are great places to visit. So that was really good. That was stunning. Santorini is a stunning place. And then to Athens, Corinth. I'd been to Philippi before, uh, Patmos, Athens, Corinth, but my wife Cheryl was was with me and our son Sam. So it was really a good time to spend that together with them, with other people from our church. Uh, we came back home for a week, and, uh, you know, I'd never been gone out of the country for, you know, 10, more than 10 days. It's weird being gone that long. You want to see if your house is still there and kind of come back and check on things, and thankfully, we, it was all in good hands. So we came back for a week or so. Then we went to New Mexico for a month and spent a month in Alto, New Mexico. Um, that was much more slow-paced than the first two parts of the trip, and we're at 7,300 feet. It was cool, and we see the mountains every day, and very inspiring place. I was able there to do a lot more reading and study and, and a good bit of golf that I enjoyed. So the whole trip is just a blessing. 
And Cheryl and I appreciate it all very much, and we never took it for granted, and we, we tried to constantly keep ourselves aware of the fact that others were sacrificing for us for our time to be away. And uh, we appreciate that from the bottom of our hearts. So more about the, the trips in, in the upcoming weeks, but I want to get into God's Word this morning, uh, something that the Lord laid on my heart during our time away, probably the most important thing. So turn to Acts chapter 3 and 4. There's one thing that God impressed upon me during our time away, and I want to come back and share it with you. Um, I know I won't be able to do it justice. Um, Charles Spurgeon used to use the illustration of when you learn something in the Bible and it impresses you so much and you go to share it with other people, it's never the same. It's kind of like he said, you go and get some honey in your hands and go to share it with somebody, and by the time you get there, it ran between your fingers. That's kind of how I feel sometimes when I try to take something that's impressed me deeply and try to explain it to you. I know I can never do it fully, but I pray that the Holy Spirit can take something of what I say this morning and and minister uh, to your life. Because when you're away like we were for that length of time, which I never have been in my life, and a lot of these train trips, you're just kind of going for several hours looking out the window. You think a lot about your own life and your ministry, and you look back on 25 years, and you think about what's happening in your life now, and you look ahead to what you think the Lord may have for you, and you you do a lot of thinking, a lot of reading, and some of the reading I did was in the early part of the book of Acts. And what struck me as never before is in these early chapters of Acts, the focus of the apostles was on the name of Jesus. When you read these passages over and over and over again, it's the name of Jesus. It's the name of Jesus. And I thought to myself, if, if these men in the early church, right after the church is founded, if that was their focus, then that should be the focus of my life as well. And so I've begun now in my own life when I pray and call upon the name of the Lord to, to do it in the name of Jesus. We always add that at the end, you know, in Jesus' name, but in the name of Jesus. Or when I sense there's a, a desperate need in my life, I've been going to the Lord and say, Lord, in the name of Jesus. And I want to talk about that here with you and share with you from these passages about that. And I pray that it will minister to your heart as well. So there's nothing in the Bible that underscores this idea of the name of Jesus like these early chapters in Acts. So to get our bearings a little bit, Acts chapter 2 is the birthday of the church. Peter preaches this great sermon. 3,000 souls are saved. Uh, The the first church is formed there in Jerusalem. And then in chapters 3 and 4, we see the earliest activities of the disciples. And again, the focus is the name of Jesus. It's the focus on His name, that there's power in the name of Jesus. Now, I've got three simple points this morning to flesh this out. I want to look just real quickly at this miracle that happened, the message from that, and some of the meaning for our lives Um, If you're a visitor again here with us today, this isn't normally what we do. I'm going to go a little faster through this because I took the first part of the message to talk about my travels. So uh, next week we'll be in Philippians, and I'm excited about that. I've been studying a lot all summer, and I'm loaded for bear, so we'll get there. But if uh, if you leave here this morning and you say, boy, that message really was simple, then I've accomplished my task this morning. So I want to leave you with a very simple thought that there's power I'm in the name of Jesus. Acts chapter 3 says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple, the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. Every day in the temple at nine in the morning and three in the afternoon, the the priest would go in and offer offer, uh, incense in the holy place. And the people there would gather to pray, and this incense going up kind of pictured their prayers going to God. 
So Peter and John, this is the early church. The temple's still standing. They're going there into the temple to pray. And a certain man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along, whom they used to set every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, in order to beg alms of those who were entering the temple. Now, this story here in the first 10 verses is the first miracle in the book of Acts, the first of 14 miracles that we see in this book. And I love it. Uh, David Jeremiah calls this the miracle of alms and legs. I really like that. So you'll see that as we go along here. But if you read Acts 4.22, it tells us this man was over 40 years of age. So this man is in his 40s, and he's never walked. And he's probably a fixture there at the temple. He's probably got the, the prime location there at the beautiful gate. If you've been to Israel, that's probably the gate right there behind the southern steps where Jesus taught so many times. And we're going to go to Israel in March again. It's one of my favorite places to stand on those southern steps. And that beautiful gate was right there behind it. And that's the main entrance as people were going in and out of the temple area. And so this guy had the prime location for begging alms. It's kind of like, uh, you know, Kilpatrick in Pennsylvania down there, you know, where everybody goes to, to try to get money from folks. But this guy's probably been there for years. And you think about this, uh, there's no better place than to sit there as people are going into the temple to try to get money because they always had to bring money to bring an offering to God. And people would try to maybe impress God a little bit on the way in by giving this poor beggar a few shekels. So he had this perfect place. And Peter and John had probably walked by this guy hundreds of times. And Jesus probably during his ministry, which had just ended two months earlier, Jesus had seen this man probably many times, and Jesus had never healed him. But this was the day uh, that he was going to receive his healing. He saw Peter and John about to go into the temple. He began asking them for alms. He asked for money. And Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze upon him and said, look at us. And he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. He was expecting to receive something. He was going to get something all right, but a lot more than he imagined. But Peter said, I do not possess silver or gold. Isn't that interesting? Didn't have any money. I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, walk. And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were strengthened. Now, Dr. Luke is writing this, and he uses some very specific words here about the ankle bones. His ankles were strengthened, and with a leap, he stood upright and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they were taking note of him as being the one who used to sit at the beautiful gate of the temple to beg alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. So they're walking there, and, and Peter and John say, look at us. And then they say, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And someone's name is more than just the the four or five or six letters in their name. Someone's name is it's who you are. It's all that you are. And so Peter says, in the name of Jesus, in all that Jesus is, you walk. Now, this man gets up, and he's probably like a newborn calf on these legs. The guy's never walked before. You could just see him. He's leaping and jumping around the temple like a kangaroo, probably praising God. And everybody knows who this guy was, so no one can deny that the miracles happen. 
They're all saying, that's that guy been sitting out there for years at the beautiful gate. So this man is a living, leaping testimony to the power of the name of Jesus. I love this story from church history. Uh, Thomas Aquinas was walking through Rome one day with one of the, the cardinals of the Roman Catholic Church. And there was a poor man there begging money. And the cardinal took some money out of his pocket and gave it to the poor man. And he says, we don't have to say any more, silver and gold have I none. And Thomas Aquinas says, but neither can you say in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Begin to rely upon their own resources and their own power. Yeah, we got plenty of money now. We don't have to say silver and gold, have we none. Do we really rely upon and realize our dependence upon the power of the name of Jesus? Now, this miracle is followed by a message, or we have this event, and then we have the explanation of it. Notice in verse 11, while he was clinging to Peter and John, all the people ran together. And so Peter now begins to give his second sermon. And drop down to verse 16. And on the basis of faith in his name, it is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man whom you see and know, and the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect health in the presence of you all. Peter doesn't use this opportunity to build his own reputation and take credit for himself. The very first thing he does is he says, this man has been strengthened by the name of Jesus. It's the name of Jesus that has done this. There's power in the name of Jesus. Everybody has their own favorite list, probably of favorite movies. Uh, probably most of my top five are Clint Eastwood westerns. Uh, my family doesn't like any of those, but I enjoy them myself. But probably one of the movies would be up there for me is the movie Gladiator. Um, it's set in uh, AD 180. Um, it tells the story of a Roman general named Maximus, played by Russell Crowe, um, who was uh, about to be given reigning authority over Rome by the emperor Marcus Aurelius. But before this could take place, the emperor's son, Commodus, kills his father so that he can secure the throne for himself. And he orders the, the, the murder of Maximus and his family. And his family is slaughtered, but he himself is able to escape. And the movie follows him as he's sold into slavery, becomes a nameless gladiator, and seeks justice against this wicked king, uh, Commodus. But the turning point in the movie, my favorite point in it, and a point that uh, back when I originally saw it, it, it gave me chills, was after Maximus wins a great battle there in the Colosseum. And uh, by the way, I was in the Colosseum not long ago. I'll throw these kind of things in along in my sermons, I know. But the Colosseum is a pretty cool place. But it's in the Colosseum there. The Emperor Commodus decides he wants to meet this unknown gladiator face to face. The crowd watches the emperor. He comes down there in full pomp and strides down there onto the sands of the Colosseum. And he asks the simple question to this man, what is your name? And he, with blood and dirt streaking down his face, he takes his helmet off and he says, My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius, commander of the armies of the north, general of the Felix legions, loyal servant to the true emperor Marcus Aurelius, father of a murdered son, husband to a murdered wife, and I will have my vengeance in this life or the next. And the crowd there erupts in this deafening roar. And as you, you see that, it's testimony to the power of a name. When he says, my name is Maximus Decimus Meridius, there's power in that name because it, it encompasses all that he is and represents all that he is. And we could say the same thing is true of Jesus if you want to take the name of Jesus times infinity, the power of his name when his name is stated. 
You know, something that's interesting to me, it always has been, you know, as you're growing up and you hear people curse and blaspheme, whose name do they always use? Jesus. It's like in some perverted way, even unsaved people have some sense that there's power in this name. But we use that name because we understand it's the power of the person who's God uh, in human flesh. Well, this miracle they do gets the disciples arrested. So the first miracle leads to the first persecution. And you go to uh, verse 3 of chapter 4, and it says, And they laid hands on them and put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who've heard the message believed, and the number of the men came to be 5,000. Now, if you've been following in the book of Acts in your mind, they started with 12 disciples. You had the 120 in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. After Peter preaches, there's 3,000. Now there's 5,000 men, probably 15 to 20,000 people total. And there's power in the name of Jesus as people are, are flocking to be saved and to trust in Him. Now, the, the disciples go before the Sanhedrin, and you think about these are the same people two months earlier who had Jesus executed. And uh, I love verse 5. It says, It came about the next day their rulers and elders and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem. And Annas, the high priest, was there. Caiaphas, it's the same cast of characters that killed Jesus. Verse 7, And when they had placed them in the center, the, these, the Sanhedrin were in a semicircle, put these guys in the center, and they began to inquire, listen to this, by what power or in what name have you done this? They can't deny that it's happened. They want to know, what's the name in which you've done this? And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we were on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands here before you uh, in good health. And you go on and you read later on in uh, chapter 4 and verse 17, they said, don't speak anymore in this name. And verse 18 says, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Down in chapter 4, verse 30, the very last uh, part says, these miracles and signs and wonders that take place through the name of thy holy servant Jesus. That's the focus in these chapters. It's the mighty name of Jesus. And these are the first events of the church age. Now, what's the significance of this for us? I think the significance of this for us is if this is what the early church was doing and what they were about, and this was the, the, the mark that they left is the name of Jesus, that should be what marks our lives as well. There's power in the name of Jesus. And I could go on this morning, and I, I'm, I'm not going to do it, but I'm going to just talk about a few things here and mention, and I hope you'll go and read, read these chapters and meditate on them maybe this week on your own. But the first thing we see is there's power in the name of Jesus to heal. I mean, we would be foolish not to see that in this passage. That's the whole focus of it. There's power in Jesus' name to heal. It's mentioned in chapter 3, verse 6, chapter 3, verse 16, chapter 4, verse 7, chapter 4, verse 10, chapter 4, verse 17, verse 18, verse 30. The name of Jesus is powerful to heal. Now, I don't have time this morning, it's not my purpose in this sermon to go on a long um, uh, session about the biblical perspective on divine healing. Uh, none of us here today are apostles. 
I certainly believe that there was a uniqueness to the time of Jesus and the apostles. These miracles were authenticating Jesus as the Messiah and authenticating the apostles as His unique messengers. But I believe that Jesus Christ heals today. And if you don't believe that, if you have a theology against that, one of these days, if you get really, really ill, you'll probably start thinking about changing your theology. We believe that Jesus has the power to heal. There's power in His name to heal. And I believe that all healing is from God. If it just takes time and you get better, God did it. If you go to a doctor and get medicine or surgery, God is the ultimate healer. If you're healed supernaturally, God did. In fact, in Deuteronomy, God says, I'm the one who gives life. I'm the one who takes life. I'm the one who wounds. I'm the one who heals. There's no one who can deliver from my hand. God is the healer. And there's power in the name of Jesus to heal. And we should not be shy to go and to ask God to bring healing. We do that often. While we were gone this summer, I had a list of 10 or 15 people back here at our church who were struggling physically, and I prayed for them every day, and I would come to the Lord and say, Lord, in, in, in the powerful name of Jesus, I ask you to bring healing. And He's brought it in, in different ways uh, to, to many in our church. But God is sovereign. We don't know His purposes, but we can come in the powerful name of Jesus. We can ask Him to heal, and we leave it in His hands. We leave it in His sovereign hands to decide how He will do it and when He will do it. That's the first thing we see here. It's a a simple application. The second thing here, though, and this is so important, there's power in the name of Jesus to save. Look at chapter 4 and verse 12. Peter and John are there in front of the Sanhedrin, the same people that killed Jesus. Listen to these words. These are some of the most powerful words in the Bible. There is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. That's exclusive, isn't it? The only thing that can bring sinful people to heaven, to the presence of God, is the name of Jesus. And you have in this this passage here, the physical healing of this lame, helpless man is the backdrop now for the fact that Jesus is the only one that can heal the soul. Like the, down in chapter 4, verse 9, the word to be made well, we're talking about the, the man who was, who was ill or lame, is, is a, a form of the same word that's used in verse 12 to save. So this man is lame, he's helpless, he can't do anything, and Jesus raises him up. It's the same thing that Jesus does to our souls that are helpless and lame when he comes um, and he saves us. It's a graphic picture of what Jesus can do. But only Jesus can save us. There's no other name that can save. Not Buddha, not Muhammad, not Confucius, not your own name. People say, well, I've been a good person. When you get to heaven someday and plead your, uh, your own name or what you've done, the door of heaven will not answer and it will not open to you. Uh, you can't use the name Baptist to get into heaven or the name Methodist or the name Episcopalian or the name Faith Bible Church or any other name. The door of heaven only answers and opens to one name, and that is the name of Jesus. When Cheryl and I uh, were there in Rome, the last night we were there, it was a beautiful evening. If you've ever been to places like Rome, you you, you order your food, and then they they bring it, and then you don't see them for like an hour. And uh, yeah, I'm kind of one of these guys who kind of eat 15 minutes, get out, get on to the next thing. Man, it's real long, kind of drawn out. It's kind of nice. It kind of slowed me down and relaxed me. I'm always off to the next thing. And so we're just sitting there for a long time, and the, we hear this loud commotion down the street. I mean, coming for literally five minutes before it shows up. And finally, they come around the corner, 
And it's this large group of people singing. They got tambourines and band and guitars and all this stuff. And all these people are gathered around them. They're a lot of young people. They're dancing. They're singing. I mean, it looks like they're having the greatest time in the world. And I'm trying to hear what they're singing. And finally, I can discern it. And they're singing Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. It's an easy song to learn, I figured out. It's got two words. But over and over and over again. But they're smiling. And they look like they're having all this fun. All these young people are gathered around them. And... We were seated about three tables, three or four tables into this restaurant, but they started coming to the edge of that restaurant. And I thought, man, I hope they come to, to our table. They didn't because it was too hard to get in there, and I couldn't get to them. It's packed in there. But the one thing I wanted to say to these young people, you know, they're dressed weird and their hair's cut funny. You, you don't have to do any of that stuff. There's one name by which you can be saved, and it's Jesus. It's not Krishna. Krishna can't say the door of heaven will never, ever be opened uh, to him. I mean, it was, a, it was a bizarre scene. It was like a, a bad flashback to the 60s or something. Those of you a little older, Harry Krishna around. But anyway, I don't know if it's big over there, but it, it just highlighted all these young people coming there. Only the name of Jesus can save. And, you know, we live in a culture that is being overrun by what's called pluralism. And most of you know what that means. It means that you can come to God any way you want to come or, or don't come at all. It's just all roads kind of lead to Rome type idea. And if you tell people that Jesus is a way to God, everything's good. But when you tell people there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved, people immediately respond to that in anger and vitriol. And that's, that's why people despise us as Christians because of the exclusivity of, of what Jesus taught. But that's what we believe in, and we call people to believe in Jesus because we believe that's the only name that can save us from our sins. And that's why we present the gospel here every Sunday at Faith Bible Church. There's no other name that can save. In fact, just turn back in your Bible in Acts chapter 2, verse 21, on the day of Pentecost in Peter's first great sermon, what did he say in Acts 2.21? And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How are we saved? By calling upon the name of the Lord and recognize He's the only one who can save me from my sins. I know I've told this story before, but it's powerful, I think. It's, it's from The Silver Chair by C.S. Lewis. It's a little girl named Jill. She represents a human being. Uh, Aslan, the lion, pictures Christ. Jill is in this forest, and she's dying of thirst. And the lion says, are you thirsty? And Jill says, yes, I'm dying of thirst. And the lion says, well, then drink of the stream. She said, may I, could I, would you mind going away while I do? The lion uh, answered with only a look and a growl. The delicious rippling noise of the stream was driving her frantic. Will you promise not to do anything to me if I come, said Jill? I make no promise, said the lion. Then I dare not come and drink, said Jill. Then you will die of thirst, said the lion. Oh dear, said Jill, coming another step near. I suppose I must go and look for another stream then. The lion said, there is no other stream. And that's the truth of the gospel. And C.S. Lewis understood it well. There's no other stream. And since that's true, one of the things that gripped me as well this summer is to be more active in praying for and sharing the gospel with people that I meet. Sometimes we say, oh, I believe Jesus is the only way to God, but then we don't tell people about Him and act like maybe they can get there some other way. And God gave me some wonderful opportunities this summer to, to share the gospel with some people. 
And uh, it's been something that's been burdening my own heart and my life. And if we really believe this is true, then we, we, we must tell people with a sense of urgency, there's no other name uh, that can save but Jesus. One final thing, and this will segue to next week. Uh, over in Acts 16, if you go over there, I know we're, we're going way ahead. This is, we've gone 17 years now from Acts 3 and 4. And this is the Apostle Paul now in his second missionary journey. But in Acts 16, he's in the city of Philippi. And that's where we're going to pick up next week because we're going to begin a study of the book of Philippians. And this is Paul's visit there. But notice down in chapter 16 and verse 18, uh, there's a a girl uh, in, in Acts chapter 16, actually verse 16, a slave girl who's possessed by a demonic spirit. She keeps following them around. She's a fortune teller. Um, She has some kind of clairvoyant abilities. And notice in verse 18, she continued doing this for many days, but Paul was greatly annoyed and turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out at the very moment. Now again, there's a lot more that can be said about this, but I just want to point this out as kind of a, a conclusion here. Only the name of Jesus can heal, only the name of Jesus can save, but only the name of Jesus can give us deliverance and victory um, over the enemy. We have an enemy that wants to devour us. I don't know if you know that or not. Um, the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 5 that uh, Satan is like a roaring lion and that he's roaming around seeking whom he may devour. And that word devour in, in Greek literally means to gulp down. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, Satan is on the lookout to gulp you down. He's on the lookout to gulp down your marriage, to gulp down your children, to gulp down your grandchildren. And the only defense we have against the powers of the enemy is the name of Jesus. It's the powerful name of Jesus. I mean, Ephesians 6.10 says, Stand strong in the Lord and in the power of His mind. Not in our own. We're, we're, We're defenseless. We need power from from bondage and from oppression and from the onslaughts of the enemy in our lives. We resist the enemy in the name of Jesus. Luke 10, 17, when the disciples came back from one of their ministry trips, they said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. It's in the name of Jesus. In the passage we read earlier here this morning, it says, therefore God has highly exalted him, that is Jesus. He's highly exalted Him and given Him the name that's above every name. The name of Jesus, every tongue should confess of things in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. That Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The name of Jesus is the preeminent name in heaven and on earth. And if we go out in our lives to fight against our enemy who wants to devour us in any other strength but in the name of Jesus, uh, we will be soundly defeated. Look, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have everything you need to be successful, to live faithfully for the Lord. And you have all of that in the mighty, matchless, merciful name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You have it all. Far too many believers are living way beneath their resources they're, they're just leaning on their own meager abilities in themselves. It's like uh, the story from back in 1990 in Ottawa, Canada. There's a 24-year-old man named Danny Simpson. 
And he went and robbed a bank there of $6,000, and he got sentenced to six years in prison for it. The irony of the story is, is that uh, Danny Simpson in the robbery used a 45 caliber Colt semi-automatic pistol, which turned out to be an antique from the Ross Rifle Company made in Quebec City in 1918. It was worth over $100,000. So poor Danny Simpson goes and gets six grand from a bank, and he's holding in his hand more than everything that he could possibly need. Danny Simpson had what he needed, and so do you and I. And I think sometimes we're on this quest for more or something greater in our spiritual lives. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have access to the mighty, powerful name of Jesus to call out to Him. We have what we need. Again, I alluded to this earlier, but this summer, this has become a key part of my own prayer life. When I begin to pray, I say, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Now, let me say something here and caution us. There's nothing magical just about saying those words. If you want to read a funny story go in the Bible, go over and read in Acts 19 about the seven sons of Sceva. They employ the name of Jesus, and these demons come and beat the daylights out of these guys because they don't know who these men are. These men aren't followers of Jesus. So there's nothing magical just about saying these words. But when we say those words and we mean them, it is a confession that we're helpless and confident in His power. There's power in the name of Jesus, but you have to confess it and you have to claim it to make it operative in your life. And again, when you go back to the earliest chapters of the book of Acts, what were these men doing constantly? They were speaking in the name of Jesus. They were calling out in the name of Jesus. That's what they did. And if that's what they were doing, that's what we need to do as well. And that's what I've been thinking about a lot here these last months, and that's what I've been applying in my own life. Here's a great quote I ran across by Kent Hughes. I'll I'll wrap up with this. He says this, a great quote. The church had power in the early days because it had faith in Jesus' name. It fully trusted Him. This is so simple, he says, yet so true. Faith in the name of Jesus Christ brings power to the church. Any man or woman who's ever done anything substantial for Christ has done so only by faith in His name. If we could assemble the great missionaries of the cross, we would have the most extraordinary collection of idiosyncrasies the world has ever seen. I like that. Got all the missionaries down to the ages. You'd have the greatest collection of idiosyncrasies you've ever seen. They wouldn't even understand each other. Be speaking all kinds of different languages. Some of them might not even like each other. But there would be one common exciting characteristic in them all, a flaming earnestness of belief in the power in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I love that. The one thing you would find in all the missionaries down through the ages, the one common exciting characteristic is a flaming earnestness of belief in the power of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but I don't want to live the rest of my life. I don't want to be an impotent, insipid, inconsequential Christian. I want to to do things in my life for the glory of God. And I want you to commit together with me to pray in the name of Jesus, to resist the enemy in the name of Jesus, to call out to the Lord in the name of Jesus, that name above every name. A lot of us are facing things here this morning. Whatever you're facing, I want you to leave here this morning just with this one simple truth. There's power in the name of Jesus. You may be having terrible problems in your marriage today. There may be things in your family with with your children. You may be under the weight of some financial burdens or maybe there's things going on at your work or you've just heard some daunting news that's really thrown you back. 
Or maybe it's just emotional struggles with loneliness and discouragement and depression. Maybe it's some physical ailment. I know many in our church are suffering and struggling with with physical things right now. I want to encourage every one of us here, there is power in the name of Jesus if we will rely upon Him and we will lean upon Him and we'll trust in Him. That song we sang there at the end, that, that, that song, did, did you, do you remember the words of that song? It says, what a beautiful name it is. What a wonderful name it is. What a powerful name it is. The name of Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you and we come in the mighty and that matchless, that merciful name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for all that's in that name. And Lord, I pray for whatever anyone here today may be facing, that every one of us would leave here and we would know that there's power in the name of Jesus. We would go forth, Father, in that power to call upon you, to pray in that name, to resist in that name. Well, Father, help us to take this with us today, this simple truth. May it change our lives. We ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together for the benediction, please. If you're a guest or a visitor, we're so glad you're here. Again, this is a little different kind of Sunday, me telling about my travel plans. We'll dig into Philippians next week. After the first service, I said, if you're a guest or a visitor, go out to the right in our lobby to the visitor center. Someone came up and said, well, I was gone. It's on the left. So see, you never know. Things change while you're gone. So if you go out and go to the left over there, there's a welcome center there for you where there's some wonderful people uh, who'd love to, uh, to get to know you and give you some more information about our church. Let's bow our heads now in prayer together for the benediction as we leave here with God's blessing. Father, we come before you now and we pray that each one of us here would walk out of this place today and we would leave here in the powerful name of Jesus. All God's people said, amen. Amen.